Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and back with us on the show to hit the latest on the NFL coaching searches and to preview the Super Bowl is veteran NFL and fantasy football writer Andy Rio. And Andy, uh, just before you and I got recording, the Texans, as usual, throw a curveball at us because we thought we were going to be talking about the Texans' three main coaching candidates. And, you know, maybe by the time people hear this on Monday, they're going to have picked one. But the candidates were Jonathan Gannon, Josh McCown, Brian Flores, and everybody kind of assumed over the last couple of weeks they were leaning towards the weird candidate, the oddball uh, Josh McCown. But the new man in the mix as of Sunday, according to Adam Schefter, is Lovey Smith. The assumption in Houston, like I said, was McCown for the last couple of weeks. What do you think if they do decide that Lovey Smith is the man? This could happen by the time I get this thing up on Monday morning. Things happen fast when it's the Texans. Well, I have not been a fan of the whole Josh McCown just suddenly becoming a coach concept. I mean, a position coach maybe, but certainly not the head coach. Uh, Lovey at least has legitimate head coaching experience, but the problem is, is you're hiring a guy that struggled in both of his past two jobs. He certainly did have some success in Chicago, but he did not have any success at all in Tampa Bay. And he struggled at the University of Illinois. Admittedly, college is a different animal than pro, and Illinois has not been an elite Big Ten program in quite some time. But still, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a hard sell because his most recent experience has not been successful. He took sexy Rexito to a Super Bowl. We got to throw that there. <laughs> you know, I mean, just it's still amazing to me. Rex Grossman was a quarterback in a Super Bowl, and Levy Smith made that happen. Well, that is true, uh, but that was also a different era in the NFL when you could get to the Super Bowl with a weaker quarterback. As we're seeing right now, you can't really do that. I don't think he'd be able to pull that off in today's world. What do you think went wrong with him in, in Tampa? Why was it unsuccessful, and how much, when a coach is unsuccessful, do you throw it on? the general manager, what's going on with player personnel. I mean, a lot of times, you know, there's so many different factors that can come into play. Well, I think some of it was just they did not have a very good front office at the time. So, I mean, you can't really blame Lovey for that. Um, I do remember in 2015, that was when they took Jameis Winston at the top of the draft. So, obviously, they figured early on. I mean, they were still at the time thinking that Jameis Winston was going to be a long-term franchise quarterback, which didn't turn out to be the case, but obviously they figured they needed to get somebody else in there who was more capable of developing Jameis Winston than Lovey Smith because he is more of a defensive guy. Was Brian Flores your favorite of the candidates that they have talked to and that seem to be the main candidates for their job? Yeah, absolutely, because he has admittedly more of a modest track record of success, but he has churned out a couple of winning seasons in Miami. The firing was still somewhat controversial. Um, you know, you're, when you're comparing him with a guy who's, you know, never been a head coach at the NFL level before, and a, admittedly, I mean, Gannon from Philadelphia was a promising a candidate, but yeah, Flores has at least a little bit of a track record, and, you know, for the Texans to get or potentially get somebody like that, given where they're at, that would have been a, a nice hire. But as it sounds right now, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. 
What did you think of Flores' decision to sue the NFL and go after them and the Giants on the basis of what happened in, in, in that hire? And, and were you surprised, too, that Goodell put out the memo that he did this weekend? It, it's not like the NFL is really good about admitting that they're not doing the best job in the world at anything. <laughs> well, I think you have kind of uh, a couple of very interesting cases uh, involving the Flores situation because, yes, I, I think definitely the NFL can do a better job in terms of diversity and opening up to a more diverse pool of candidates. On the other hand, I was also surprised that Flores filed suit. It sounds like the Giants' experience was admittedly bad, but the Giants also are not the greatest organization. I think they have, we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit further, I think they have made some steps in the right direction here recently, but I also think Flores probably is in position before the suit, he definitely was in position to get some other coaching jobs. I mean, he, as we mentioned, he's got a decent track record. So I think certainly somebody would have hired him as the head coach. We'll see if that happens now, given the lawsuit. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Is it going to be an uphill climb for him? Is this going to turn into Colin Kaepernick, but you know, with a coach instead of a player, I don't know if those two situations are necessarily the same at this point. I would say that there's probably a better chance of Flores getting a job, certainly because he has a recent track record of winning you know, the whole Kaepernick situation, I think, is kind of compounded by the fact that when he left the league, he had fallen out of favor in San Francisco. And that, I think, also impacted him getting another job in the NFL. Casario knows Flores, knows what he has to offer. It's interesting because we just thought they were going to go out and get somebody from the Patriots. But right now, that doesn't look like the case. It doesn't look like what we thought the Texans were going to be about in this coaching search, you know, some of the guys that were mentioned, Josh McDaniel and Jared Mayo, and some of the guys in the Patriots organization, none of those guys look like they're going to be the Texans head coach. And it's, it's interesting, Andy, because Flores was somebody that made a lot of sense in a lot of ways because of their connection, but also because um, his, his success that he's had. Now, what happened in Miami, do you feel like uh, his inability to get along with a lot of people in that organization is a factor or do you think that maybe Miami could be tearing down his rep a little bit and and making him look worse than he actually was because if what was going on is the case and Stephen Ross was wanting him to lose games that that doesn't look good on that entire organization and you understand his frustration well Miami has not been a particularly good organization in decades. And I think obviously it's troubling if indeed, you know, that offer was made to him. I, I think that probably, I think naturally, unless, you know, you have, you know, two people that are like great friends and they just have to part company because a team's not winning or whatever, there's probably going to be some bad blood. So I think probably it's not a surprise that both sides are kind of trying to discredit the other. Beyond the Texans, we've seen six new coaches hired. And I was thinking you could maybe rate the hires from best to worst. And I'll go over the list for those who've forgotten because a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks with all that. The big one for the Texans so far, the Jags hire Super Bowl champion head coach Doug Peterson. The other six, or I should say five, are the Vikings who hired Rams OC Kevin O'Connell. The Giants grabbed Bills OC Brian Dayball. The Raiders took 
a rumored Texan favorite off the board when they grabbed Patriots OC Josh McDaniels. The Bears, who might have weakened an AFC South rival by hiring Colts DC Matt Eberflus, depending on what kind of job you thought he was doing with the Colts. Also, the Dolphins just got 49ers OC Mike McDaniel. And finally, the Broncos hired Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. How do you rake those from best to worst, or which, which ones did you like and didn't like? Well, for an organization like Jacksonville that has been so bad for so long, uh, I think it's quite a hire getting Doug Peterson. I think where we'll know for sure how everything stands in Jacksonville is if they land Rick Spielman in a prominent front office role because overall he assembled a decent amount of talent in Minnesota. You can certainly make a case that the Vikings never got over the top, but at this point Jacksonville needs credibility above all else. Peterson and potentially Spielman would give them that credibility. Peterson gives them a guy who can develop Trevor Lawrence. You know, that team would probably, I mean, for several years would probably, their fan base would be thrilled if they had a similar track record as the Vikings, which was typically a not bad, not great franchise, but decent under Spielman. As far as some of the other hires go, I think with Hackett and Denver, the whole thing is just going to depend on what they can do with quarterbacks. He's regarded as a promising candidate. He was praised widely for his work in Green Bay. Uh, and if Denver can, if they could get Aaron Rodgers or if they can draft the right quarterback, then I think he's got a decent chance of success. The problem with him and Josh McDaniels both is, is you're in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. So your work's going to be cut out a little bit more. I think McDaniels made a nice hire with Patrick Graham as defensive coordinator. He was well-regarded got some head coaching interviews, and I think the Giants were open to keeping him as defensive coordinator, but uh, he opted to go out to uh, Las Vegas. We'll see on Josh McDaniels. We all know his first coaching job in Denver was a train wreck, uh, but he's also been back in New England a long time. And let's not forget that Bill Belichick had his struggles in his first job with the Cleveland Browns before going to New England. So maybe McDaniels can turn it around, but I have a little bit of skepticism there just based on the fact that the Raiders are in a tough division. Obviously, if Levy Smith turns out to be the hire for the Texans, that's my least favorite hire of the cycle. Um, and of course, New Orleans hasn't uh, made a hire yet. Regarding Eberflus, uh, Indianapolis has generally had fairly decent defenses under him. The Bears have some talent on defense, but they've slumped in recent years. So I think he can conceivably uh, get the defense on track. The whole key for him is going to be the job that the new offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, does with Justin Fields. Getze also comes from Green Bay, and he's regarded as promising. So I think in reality, Eberflus has the potential to do well, but uh, it's really going to depend more in many ways on Luke Getze. I don't think Eberflus is, uh, he's definitely trustworthy with the defense. He just needs to hope that Getze gets the offense going. And Getze was another guy who was regarded as a future potential head coach. So a good season with Fields there in Chicago, and he may get that opportunity next offseason. I do think that the Giants, um, we just touched on the fact that they're not the best organization right now, but I think they did make a good move by uh, you know, hiring the duo from Buffalo to take over there. Certainly that's a winning organization. Dave Gettleman has had just a terrible track record as general manager, so they almost have to be an improvement by default. Uh, obviously, um, McDaniel in Miami and O'Connell in Minnesota come from good coaching trees. They're offensive-minded guys. 
Uh, Minnesota already has a lot of pieces in place on offense. Miami has found some. I think the thing that's most intriguing about McDaniel there is he's been so intricately involved with San Francisco's running game, and that's where Miami needs the most help. I would think if Miami were to draft a running back, uh, you might see a guy there who could make an immediate fantasy impact. I think it's really interesting that pretty much everybody except Chicago and maybe as we're talking, uh, it's all happening, but maybe the Texans have decided to go with offensive coordinators and offensive minds as head coach. Do you think it matters at all? Is there a history that if you hire an offensive coordinator that lo and behold, your offense gets way better or your team gets way better? Um, Are we in a cycle where we just look at offense as way more important than we do at defense is, is Chicago making a mistake because they, they went with the defensive guy instead of an offensive guy, especially a team that's struggled quite a bit over the last few years on offense. I mean, what's your feeling on all of these offensive guys getting the jobs? Well, it's an offensive minded league. Uh, I wouldn't say that Chicago made a mistake because Everplus was definitely well regarded. Dan Quinn was also well regarded as a candidate. He had some success in Atlanta, but he opted to stay in Dallas for another year as defensive coordinator. Of course, it's possible he could eventually take over as the head man for the Cowboys, given Mike McCarthy's occasional struggles. Uh, I don't necessarily think that the Bears made a mistake. Again, it's going to come down to how well the offensive coordinator can get Justin Fields going. Yeah, if you look at the Super Bowl teams, and we're going to get to them in just a bit, but you got two offensive minds taken over there. But Andy, one of the best head coaches in the NFL, getting the most out of what he gets has been Mike Vrabel, and it's, he's a defensive guy. Exactly. We also had a bunch of new GMs. The Raiders hired Patriots Director of Player Personnel Dave Ziegler. Vites hired Browns VP of Football Operations Kwesi Adofu Mensa. The Bears hired Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel Ryan Poles. You mentioned the Giants grabbing the Bills Assistant GM Joe Schoen. What, what, what did you think of the other three hires besides uh, Joe Schoen? Well, I think they all have the potential to be pretty solid. I mean, they come from generally well-regarded organizations overall. I mean, I think in the case of the Bears, I mean, you certainly, uh, you know, tapping into the Chiefs organization is certainly pretty wise given their recent track record of success. Even though the Browns uh, haven't had, uh, it was kind of a disappointing season for them this year, and they haven't had the overall track record of success. I mean, this front office did put together a playoff team last year, And they came pretty close this year. I mean, they weren't far off. It was definitely a little bit of a disappointment, but they weren't, you know, one in 16 or anything like that. Let's get to the Super Bowl because uh, it's it's coming up in just a few days here and haven't really had a chance to even get into that with all this other stuff going on. But just a real surprise that the Bengals make this incredible run. They knock off the Chiefs. They get to the Super Bowl. The Rams take Matt Stafford, who had all those years struggling with the Lions to even get to the playoffs, and and they go to the Super Bowl with him. What do you think of this matchup, and and what are you looking for as you're watching this game? Well, certainly, I think overall the Rams are probably the favorites for the game. But one thing about Cincinnati, uh, for a team that's so young, they have such great mental toughness. Certainly, they could have caved against the Raiders in the wild card round when they held a seven-point lead and the Raiders drove deep into Cincinnati territory. They could have flinched, but they held on. They pulled off a great play against Tennessee when the Titans were driving and got the interception there and won the game. And then, of course, last week to fall behind 
as far as they did against a team like Kansas City on the road in one of the toughest venues in the NFL, and for them to stand their ground and come back and win that game in such fashion, I, I think that's really the main thing about the Super Bowl. Will Cincinnati finally flinch? Is there finally going to be a point where these young guys struggle and everything like that? And if we don't hit that point, if they can be as tough as they've been during the first three rounds of the playoffs, I think they're going to have a decent shot at stealing the game, especially if Stafford has an off day because he has played tremendously. He's been very clutch throughout this postseason, but he has had a few moments here and there where he's been interception prone. So those are really the two things to look for. I think if Cincinnati flinches and Stafford plays a mistake-free game, the Rams will win it going away. Otherwise, uh, the Bengals, I think, have a shot at pulling off the upset. Mahomes just didn't seem like he could find anybody late in that Bengals game. And I don't know if there was a sense of panic. I don't know if they just did an incredible job in the secondary. You know, how how, how much of a difference is the offensive weapons that you're going to have with the Chiefs and Kelsey and Tyreek than, say, what the Rams are going to bring? I mean, the Rams, obviously, you got Cooper Cup that's fantastic, just like Tyreek Hill and is super dangerous, but... Do you feel like the, the Bengals can hold up against this Rams offense in the same way that they they did against the Chiefs in the second half? Yeah, because I think Cincinnati has enough diversity in offense to where even if Jalen Ramsey does a pretty good job on Jamar Chase, you've also got guys like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd that are capable of making plays. We'll see about the status of C.J. Uzama uh, in terms of uh, him being healthy enough to play for the Super Bowl. That's another weapon. And, of course, Joe Mixon, of course, in the backfield. So, uh, Cincinnati certainly has enough diversity on offense to where they can give the Rams fits. Jamar Chase, just, you know, what can you say? He's had more yards in his rookie season than these four receivers had in their first two seasons. And this is a pretty good list. Uh, and, and in two seasons, their first two seasons, Jamar Chase has had more yards in his rookie year than Terrell Owens, Devontae Adams, Antonio Brown, and Chad Johnson. How good has Jamar Chase been? How impressive has he been to you? And is there somebody that you're already making comparisons with him? You know, like what what guy does he remind you of? Because you you know the history about as well as anybody. Well, I would say as far as rookie wide receiver goes, and and there have been a lot of good ones, uh, obviously, since Randy Moss came into the league in 98 and Chase now. But I think the impact that Chase has made this year is similar to or maybe even slightly greater than Randy Moss's impact that first year in Minnesota. And obviously, Randy Moss had some huge games. Just go back to that Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys where he just absolutely massacred them. So maybe not necessarily an absolute direct correlation with Moss, but in terms of impact, very similar. Is there anything that the Rams, do you, you think, will be doing differently against Chase than, than he's seen so far in, in the playoffs? Well, certainly they may blanket him a little bit more with Ramsey, which uh, a lot of teams don't necessarily have a shutdown corner of that magnitude. So that will be something to watch. I certainly think they're going to be matched up against each other more often than not. And that's why it's going to be important for Higgins and Boyd to make plays for the Bengals. Usually, you know, we talk about everything else, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, et cetera, et cetera. And it comes down to the offensive and defensive lines. And we've seen, you know, defensive lines just take over Super Bowls against really good quarterbacks, like what happened with Tom Brady uh, when he faced the Giants those two times. What about their ability, the Bengals' ability, to hold up against this Rams front? 
that's going to be one of the most important aspects of this game. And certainly Aaron Donald single-handedly can wreck a game for a team. I mean, he's, you know, a decent MVP candidate for the game overall if he goes nuts. Uh, so that's a big challenge for Cincinnati. Should I go buy a Mattress Mac $3,000 mattress right now? Because if the Bengals win, Andy, you know what that means. Well, I love Mattress Mac, but his recent betting track record has not been very good. So, (laughs) no, I would not go invest in that much furniture at this point. You know, I I mean, hopefully it'll turn around for him. I mean, and everything. I mean, he's definitely one of the best ambassadors for the city of Houston there is, but uh, that doesn't mean I have to agree with his sports viewpoints. <laughs> is this game going to get out of control, do you think? Or you feel like this this is going to be one of those close Super Bowls? You'd figure in some ways if the Rams were expected to run away with it, the spread would be higher. It's four and a half points, I believe. So, uh, no, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a runaway Super Bowl. I mean, I think Cincinnati is tough enough to hang in the game for a while. They wouldn't be my pick to win it, but... I don't think they're going to get blown out. Last year, we saw Tampa with the home field advantage. This year, the Rams get a home field advantage. I mean, this is the first time in history that this has happened. Now it's happened in back-to-back years where one of the teams in the Super Bowl has home field. Last year, Tampa, you don't know how much of an advantage it was because we didn't have as many fans in the stands with the pandemic going on. There's going to be a lot more fans this time around. What kind of difference do you think that's going to make? I mean, does it make a big difference in a, in a corporate crowd of a Super Bowl where, you know, you got more of the richer people going to the game, maybe not quite as invested as your average daily Sunday to Sunday NFL fan? Well, one thing about the Rams, of course, is there are some games where the opposing fans end up uh, being represented in pretty decent numbers. So I'm not sure if it's quite going to be the home field advantage as say the Super Bowl was played, which I mean, they won't play it outdoors that at uh, Kansas city, but that's one place, you know, where I would certainly say the home field advantage is greater, but I mean, it can't hurt them because overall, I mean, they'll have more fans in the stands than the Bengals will. It just may not be like a 90, 10 split. It might be closer to like a 65, 35 split. Plus, I mean, again, Cincinnati's one in two pretty tough environments this postseason. Who are you predicting for this thing? Well, I do think the Rams will win the game. But like I said, like we touched upon in terms of, you know, some of the backdrop that could happen. I mean, it would not shock me if Cincinnati pulled off the upset. Last thing I wanted to ask you, and we brought this up on the podcast last week and just a interesting little note. I don't know what you believe as far as Joe Burrow and how fantastic a quarterback he is long term. But, you know, we we just saw Davis Mills go through his rookie year. This is Joe Burrow's second year in the NFL, and I started looking at the numbers, and they're eerie similar in their first years. Uh, you look at them, and uh, there was 10 games and 13 touchdowns by Burrow. Mills uh, had 11 games and 16 touchdowns. Burrow, five interceptions. Mills, definitely more interceptions. He had 11, so double the amount of interceptions, but Burrow completed 65.3% of his passes, 2,688 yards. Mills, 66.8% for 2,664 yards. Their average yards per catch was almost identical, 10.2, 10.1. I mean, is there any hope that you should feel as a Texans fan that, hey, look what Joe Burrow did his first year. He put out some really solid numbers for his first year, but unspectacular. You know, didn't get a full season with the injury with him, with Davis Mills 
it was, you know, obviously they had uh, Tyrod Taylor, but can the Texans take something from all this? A, a, just a, a positive, not that they're going to be in the Super Bowl next year, but, you know, maybe there is some real potential in, in, in Davis Mills. Well, yeah, I think there is some potential in Mills, but they've got to get a much better supporting cast. I mean, before the Bengals even drafted Chase, I mean, they had Higgins and Boyd, so there's two good receivers right there. And obviously, nobody in the Texans' backfield uh, at this point could even touch Joe Mixon in terms of being a quality player. So I, there would need to be a lot of upgrading for the Texans overall before we see Mills make that kind of leap. But at this point, I think he certainly has earned the job for next year. And you know, we'll see if they can make those upgrades. I mean, they're not going to be a hot free agent destination given the state of the organization they're going to have to nail the draft and we'll see if they're able to do that I, I think last year's draft may end up being more promising than some thought because of Mills and I certainly think Nico Collins has some promise but yeah a long way to go before we see the Texans I think threatening for the playoffs anytime soon yeah not to say that Jamar Chase is easy to find and you can get that guy in the draft but he, he was a rookie this year you know it wasn't like he'd been around and he immediately makes a huge splash. You can get running backs, really good running backs, a lot of times in the middle round in the offensive line. That's another thing that I think is kind of similar. Neither one of these offensive lines are anything special. I mean, obviously the the Bengals' offensive line, probably lower third in your mind, wouldn't you say? I mean, the Texans is bad, but there were a lot of injuries with the Texans' offensive line this year. If, if they do indeed bring back Laramie Tunsil, that helps you a lot because he didn't play hardly at all. Um, this season and, and and just to see those guys play together with some continuity and maybe they get better coaching th- this year I mean it's it's not that different but yeah the Jamar chases and the, and the Mixons are hard to come by and you know that's going to be the real test for for this entire franchise yeah I, I mean there are some pieces on offense I mean they've got obviously if Collins can take the next step Brandon Cooks is certainly a capable receiver but, yeah, I, they, they need an infusion of talent. I mean, especially if they can get the ship righted somewhat in Jacksonville, then the Texans may very well be at the bottom of the division next year. Well, we're looking forward to the Super Bowl, and we, we might have a new head coach by the time that this thing gets uh, uploaded. I'm, I'm putting this up early Monday morning just so everybody knows, but we recorded it right after the first Levy Smith news came over the, the, the Twitter wire, if you want to say with uh, Adam Schefter's tweet. So who knows uh, what's going to happen with all that as, as uh, I, I edit this over the next few minutes and you guys are listening to this, but uh, Andy, it's always great to talk to you and just uh, been fantastic stuff the last couple of weeks. We really appreciate you stopping by. Oh, no problem. Anytime. You're listening to Houston sports talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.